What's up, everyone, and welcome to the 187th edition of the Dawson D Show. Thank you for spending some time with us for another cracking episode. Our guest today is a king of Melbourne nightlife and one of the biggest promoters in the game. There's barely a venue he hasn't worked with. He's a part owner in G-Up, Wet Pussy Shot and Grog and part of a masked DJ duo that you for sure have come across. Recently, he's blown up on social media thanks to sharing some of the secrets of the nightclub trade. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Danny Grant. Danny is about to share with you some of the things you've always wanted to know about operating clubs. He reveals all about bidding for and working with the biggest names in the world when he gets them into a club, including how much a bid to get up to, who is great to work with, and who is absolutely not. He shares what goes on in those secret rooms and venues, the time a guy pulled a gun, and some of the most unusual items found in the cleanup. Plus, we get some incredible insight into the alcohol trade and the insane ways they are changing the industry. Remember to hit that subscribe button, leave a review, and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch all our episodes and exclusive Dawson D content. Rightio, let's hand it over to the great man. Ladies and gentlemen, Danny Grant. Melbourne's number one promoter oh, is yes. in the house. Self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed. <laughs> Danny Grant, welcome to the Dawson D Show, man. How are you, boys? You good? Oh, yeah, we, well, are, well. we are astonishingly well because you're here and we've just been chatting off air. We're very excited to hear a few of your, your classic stories, which I'm cool. sure the audience are looking forward to. But before we get there... And I don't know how you're going to be able to manage this, but can you, in a brief sense, tell us exactly what you do? Currently, I own an alcohol company that includes, uh, can I say the can yeah, I say yeah, yeah, oh, yes, yeah. please. Wet Pussy Shots, so I own that, plus Southwest Shots, plus I'm business partners with Troy Candy and Adrian Botelli with Jeop and a bunch of other cool guys. I also have uh, another brand called Grog, which is with the guys from Cold Ones, which I was explaining to you guys beforehand. But the overarching company is called 80 Proof. When I'm not doing that, I'm a part of a masked DJ duo that travels around the country and the world, but that's a, that's a bit of a secret, so I, don't, I won't unpack that one. And then thirdly, I have a label with an Aussie drill rapper called Melbourne called Brotherhood Records, and we release uh, Australian gang rap, and um, we occasionally go on tour, and some of my stories kind of are pretty crazily like around that. And I also have an events company called Lobster Steak Enterprises that runs a festival. It's a 10,000 person festival called Hello Sunshine every February, March. So when I'm not doing that, uh, there's other little bits and pieces, but that's sort of the biggest guts of what I do currently. And, and then throwing fatherhood yeah. in, in that <laughs> yeah. as well. And then I'm a dad and then a diver and a boxer and everything else. <laughs> when you list it off, we were just talking about it and it's a great little segue. People often ask, oh, how do you find time? How do you find time? And you just gave a really, really good answer, which is, you enjoy doing what you do so much. You don't watch TV. You don't sit on TikTok unless, you, unless you're making them. <laughs> um, you don't play PlayStation. You're not watching footy. You just do what you enjoy doing. So you get you get to do it every day. Yeah. I, I, like I, Other thing too is obviously having good people around you that can help you, but I just don't feel like I'm working. So I wake up in the morning and I'm sort of just ticking off what I want to do. And then when I go to bed, half the time when I do stop and I sit down and watch TV, it's because my missus is making me. Yeah. So like yeah. I would just continue to do, like I said before, edit, work, do this, reply to emails, listen to music for the label, put together tours, do whatever. I would much prefer to do that than anything else. So that's how I get the time. So as long as I'm awake, I'm, I, I would. if I didn't have, again, family and kids, that's all I would do. I would just sit around just working every single hour of every single day. <laughs> I would as well. Well, we were talking off air and talking about like the word entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, and, and I, I feel a bit the same. I don't like that word too much too. But what age are you when you decide, hey, I want to kind of do something a bit off, you know, against the grid, against the grain, I should yeah. say, off the grid. Off the grid. It's our fourth Get- podcast for the day. My brain's a little bit rattled. But yeah, when did you decide that, you know, this is, I want to do something a little bit different? So my, my story is not that classic, like, you know, growing up, I saw <laughs> entrepreneurs and I was like, that's an amazing lifestyle. <laughs> my story is more of like a situation of, um, I guess, surroundings. Yep. So growing up, my family was relatively poor and if I wanted something, I had to figure out a way to get it, right? So like I, if I wanted to buy footy cards, funnily enough, I said I don't like football, but I would go wash local cars, I'd do whatever. So we didn't have access to cash. So if I wanted fish and chips, if I fucking wanted Coke, I wanted whatever. I had to figure out a way to hustle. So I kind of learned that way to do it, good and bad, throughout my sort of teenage years. And then I just didn't fit in. I was like a square trying to go through a circle. So everyone was like, I'm going to become a truck driver, electrician, I'm going to become this. And I was just like, this is not me. Like I don't, I don't have – I don't feel as though like, yep, advertising is what I'm going to do. The idea of doing one thing all the time was just like daunting. Like, And I was like, I don't, I don't feel like I fit in that one thing. Or I'm not passionate about one thing enough to do that. So – by default, I was just like, all right, well, I need money to live. 
and I don't want to work a normal job. Yeah. And I sort of sussed it from there. So I sort of fell into it, but it's not like that. I never had that like wake up and have a cold bath at fucking 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. mine just being like, I, I like to have fun. I want to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. And that's how I figured it out. And the only way to do that was to become what people would call an entrepreneur, which I guess I am. But it's more of like a um, laziness, which is wild, right? Because I've just talked about how much I do and everyone's like, what the fuck? But it's actually <laughs> geared by laziness. Like I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to make a bunch of money so I don't have to work anymore. And then second to that, I want to be an entrepreneur so I don't have to get told what to do. But by default, I'll probably do more than anybody else does. Yeah. So yeah. it's a it's a weird thing. But my one was more like I think I was just born that way. Like I don't – it wasn't – there's no sort of motivational story behind it. It's just that – that's how I decided to live my life. They say, you know, work an 80-hour week to avoid working a 41. Yeah, that's, that's me. 100%. And a lot of people probably know you now uh, as Danny Rance on, on TikTok. And, and Big bad Danny Rance. Big bad Danny Rance. And I love that name. And, and, that, and that's, that's done really well quickly. Yeah. But you've, you're sharing your experiences, stories, anecdotes, and moments and memories from your days promoting. So you're, yeah. you were saying you've been been in the promoting game in clubs for you know how, how long well you've been close on two decades so two it's like decades. 19 years i've been yeah. working in that industry so i effectively finished school and again going back to what you said i was like i went to uni and did advertising for like i oh know sorry marketing for six months and i was like fuck this is boring <laughs> but what i did like was partying so i was like how can i continue to party and get paid and that's how i sort of figured out how to do it so i've never really had a full-time job like i've only ever done entertainment and what i do now wow. and it was just solely because i was like how do I, man, how can I be hungover and party all weekend and get paid for this? And I just figured it out. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it is pretty wild when you think about it. So how old were you when you started that? From, uh, you 18. Said 18, right? So did you love going out? I mean, I don't know if you had a fake ID and started going out at a young no, age. No, I didn't but, weirdly enough. Really? Oh, no, nah, never. Well, so what, as soon as you went, like, do you remember going to a club for the first time and, I don't know, instantly falling in love with it or falling in love with that lifestyle or anything like nah, that? No, so I was like, I, I kind of I remember like, going up to being 18 and people would talk about it and I was always like kind of obsessed by it. Like they're like, you know, we go out and we go to these raves or we do whatever. And I was like, I want to experience that. And then I remember when I turned 18, it was the opposite. It was like lackluster. So I went to a couple of pubs and friends took me to some shitty venues and I was like, fuck, is this it? Like <laughs> yeah. house parties are better than this. And I remember the pinnacle moment was a friend of mine had messaged another friend and we were this shit nightclub in South Melbourne. Like where we are now, but <laughs> and um, we and I was like, he'd message and he goes, Oh, these boys are at this club called Prince, which is in St Kilda. And I was like, Oh, okay, sweet, we'll go there. So he went over there with my girlfriend at the time and his girlfriend at the time. And I remember walking in, it was like house music, and yeah. Like, even as I talk about this, I'm like, Oh, it was yeah. <laughs> and there was like the lights, and back then everyone was wearing like bright colors, and it was like that was when house music was just sort of going from LGBTQ into like straight people mixing together, and house music was a gotcha. massive thing. It was like kind of the beginning of that era. I remember walking in and I was just like, fuck, this is it. This is what I was looking for. And it was like, from that moment, I was just entrenched in it. And house music just was what basically led me to what I do. Because I was like, how do I how do I figure out how to do this all the time? This is where I want to live. This is where I want to be. And then it's just sort of, I went along different musical journeys as I went. And then I just figured out that music and sort of entertainment and that late night, that late night life was what I wanted to do. So yeah. I, that was like kind of like a bit of a penny drop moment. I think, and I think what I really like about your content, what you share, it's maybe it's because you're not necessarily in that specific game anymore. After, yeah. you know, you say, oh, I was on King Street for 10 years. Every club you can imagine you were in and involved with, but you're just so raw and authentic. And it's all shit that people actually know is probably true, but they want to find out the actual truth. For or sure. Like they, they're, they're, they're a bit unsure. We're all asking these exact same questions you're answering. But I guess when you got into it for the first time, promoting for you was, was it for a club or a certain event for that very I ran first? my first event at 19 so i was okay. working for clubs prior um just doing guest list stuff or bits and pieces but when i first started basically started my own business in it I was 19 okay and then what size was that event was that a pretty big one or no, was it was like 250 but within a year i kind of figured out how to do it quickly and i started running weeklies um and i was sort of doing 500 and then within a year's time from that i was doing 2000 3000 people events and running stages of festivals and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger like snowball so yeah that's crazy so how just talk to us about the money side of that for a second um so how are you making is it money upon each person that comes in you get a percentage or how, how does it work yeah it's so simple right so you know when you go into a club right and they go yeah cool it's 20 bucks and we say yeah we'll go to a free one of these no, <laughs> <I'm only joking>. <laughs> <laughs> but when you walk into a door everyone's always like how do you make money it's like when you walk into the door and they go yeah 20 bucks yeah at the end of the night i take all those 20 dollar notes and i put them in my pocket really <laughs> yes that's exactly how it works so oh. we we take all those 20s <laughs> and i run the door and then i pay out the djs and the gotcha. door stuff and then i keep it so like I remember when I was younger, right? Okay, going to buy a lawnmower. So I was like, must I don't know fucking how old I was. I had a house, 
I took him and I paid it in Cash. pennies. And the dude's like, could I ask if you're a drug dealer? I was like, uh, not exactly, but I, I'm a nightclub guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think back to like days when I went out and we still enjoy a night out from yeah. time to time, but being 18 and I'm trying to find the right words to describe it, but similar to what you said when you walked into that club for the first time, I, I still remember my first night out clearly. And you walk in, there's certain music playing and the lights are, the, the light is perfect and, and going to the bar and the vibe and everything is up and about. The ambience. The, yeah, the ambience. Um, <laughs> to go from that to then a festival, for you, what do you enjoy more? The actual, the bigger the venue, the more enjoyable, the more extravagant, um, hanging out with probably bigger names to the nightclub, smaller, like, do you look and compare the two and the time you've it's done weird, both? It's weird because I like all. Is that yeah. So like I like and same as like again, friends will be like, Do you ever get sick of watching like big bands on side of stage or going backstage? No, I don't. I fucking love it still to this day. I've been doing it for 20 years. It's mad. So everyone's like, oh, I always want to do that. Try to. It's awesome, right? But when I talked about the DJ, the Master thing I do, I like the small sweaty clubs. Like there's real small, energetic, there's 250 people in there, it's fucking going off. There's a music style in there that everyone in there is like so committed to and loves. And you can feel like the fucking hairs raising in the back of your mm. neck. And people are screaming and yelling. That to me is like, that's the pinnacle of being a part of something. I love that like before it blows up. That makes sense. Like when it's yeah. really authentic and I've seen it with guys like from, like I remember going to a Flume show and um, I got invited by him because I was watching him on SoundCloud at the time. And there was 250 people or maybe 300 in this room at n not far from here. And I remember watching him and I was just like, it was electric. Like everyone that was there knew this guy was going to blow yeah. up. And it was like, you can't explain that unless you were there, but I've seen it. 15 times, like the same sort of thing. And I was just like, that's what to me is the best is watching someone where you look at it and you go, this dude's about to blow the fuck up and you can feel it. And it's sort of like, it's hard to explain, but it's like in the air and then you just watch them catapult. But like that to me is what keeps me going back. And it's like, you sort of look for it, look for it and you get over it. But it's, it's, um, that's what is definitely the allure to me. Mm. Cause I was just going to ask, what's the most enjoyable aspect of all the things you've done in the past? Is that is, is, what you've just described? Is that, the vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's like, it's, I'm like, yeah, like a, it's almost like a culture vulture is the term I would use, but hence why I've worked in so many different genres. But that start part is the best. Like when you're sort of developing a sound and there's always opportunity going on and like people are getting signed to this and it's all happening. And these guys at the start are like just a bunch of guys with a dream and then you watch it explode. So mm. I've been involved in that like five times, but I continue to find myself at that ground root level. So I'm attracted to it. Like I'm looking for it because I enjoy that first boom. And then when it gets bigger, I'll be honest, I find it more boring. Like when it sort of starts to commercialise and get really, you're sitting with guys with suits and ties, I'm like, it's not as funny anymore. Yeah. That's it. That is interesting to hear. This episode of the Doss and D Show is brought to you by our friends at Fleet Plant High Solutions. Doss, I'm telling you right now, it'd be absolutely ridiculously stupid to look beyond Fleet Plant High Solutions for any earth-moving needs. Now, when we say earth-moving, what do they do? Projects big or small. So I'm talking roads, railways, bridges, but even, you know, I'm tipping at this point, they might even come and fix your plumbing. Mate, who knows? Because they, they are the best. They do everything so well. So make sure you head to fbh.com.au to speak to the team. Tell them that Doss and D sent you as well. Now, let's get back <laughs> in the episode with Danny. What about wet, wet pussy? So was, was was that a COVID project? Yeah. Or, yeah. So how did that come about? And was that your idea? A bunch of mates? What happened? So myself and three club owners, yeah. we were obviously fucked because of COVID. <laughs> One of our partners had left years prior, uh, who I used to actually work with, but he'd started like a, it's called, it's called parallel importing. So effectively what they do is they'll buy alcohol overseas for cheaper and higher amounts. And then they sell it to clubs, right? And it's a way for us to save money because that's how like we'll save a dollar on anything we can. So he was doing that. So he had kind of an okay idea of how alcohol and liquor worked. So during COVID, we, myself and my other partner who are also owners of clubs, he owns Burke Street Courtyard in the city and uh, La Da, Brown Alley, another one called Spotswood. We were all working in this place and we we're like, like, we're fucked. Like we have to, we're going to wait for things to open. And originally we thought it was going to be a month, but obviously it ended up being close on two years after mm. everything went back to normal. And we were watching bottle shops blow up because the bottle shop we were working in, they went from doing like twenty five to like $90,000 a week and um, I was like, wow. how, do, how do we get how do we get our finger in this pie? So we're working for $27 an hour at the time. So we sort of started to work on some other projects that had nothing to do with Wet Pussy. And then when we went down and met with my other mate and we're like, we've got this idea. It's a it's a vodka peach iced tea with alcohol in it, spikes, rah, rah, rah. He's like, yeah, cool idea. But like, what the fuck are you going to do with it? Like, we're going to sell it in bottle shops. He's like, why don't we just sell what we sell the most of in clubs? And we're like, Wet Pussy. He's like, yeah, we'll just fucking trademark that. We'll put it in bottles, make it as cheap as it is to make. And then we can sell it to our friends. And it, and then that was the idea originally, just to sell I it to our friends. I can't believe you got that trademark. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. And it was just it was just to sell it to our friends. And we're like, cool. So when everything came back, we had a couple of pallets and whatnot. And we were just selling it to all the clubs in Victoria. 
and we're just like, oh, we'll break into interstate and do whatever. And then COVID happened again. And he had a contact that sold to bottle shops directly. So he was like, all right, sweet. And he gave it to him. And that dude just sold like, I don't know, two, the whole two pallets. And at, the, at that time, it was just for us to get our cash back because we knew we were about to go through tough times again. Yeah. yeah. It blew up. And then from within three months, we all quit our jobs and it became our full-time gig. Really? So, yeah. It, it was like ridiculous, man. It literally was like from, we went from selling two pallets to like 100 pallets within like four or five months. That is insane. And when I say 100 pallets, I don't mean that whole time. I mean a month. That's great. Yeah. Do you guys sell it to nightclubs or do they still make wet pussy shots? Like Most nightclubs will buy. Like There's actually a funny story. So there's a group called Artesian Group. And Artesian Group are the biggest nightclub group in Queensland. And I went to him, a guy called Tim. And I was like, Tim, can you buy my stuff? He's like, bro, we just make it ourselves. It's fucking easy. We've got vodka deals, whatever. And I was like, you're going to have to buy it off me eventually. He's like, yeah, whatever. And then eight months later, he called me. He's like, all right, how am I going to do this deal? And I was like, what's going on? What's changed? He's like, people fucking coming up to us and saying, us. I want the real stuff. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So we knew that though. So when we started, we were like, once we got that traction, we're like, yep. okay, everyone who didn't support us, we're going to go so hard on marketing and branding and like influencer stuff that people are legitimately going to think you're selling them a fake version. And that's what's happened. So as we've gone along, it's like people are being You're forced. the official wet pussy. <laughs> yeah. After, after pussy it's master. been around forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I was ordering it. You're the real one now. That's crazy. We, we own it. So I can't we, believe... I still can't get my head around you got that trademark. If a, if a bar was to sell one, we could actually sue them. Really? What? We wouldn't. Change we the name. Yeah, change yeah. the name. Or that's our brand. Yeah. Correct. We own it. So every time we look at it, like wet if they write it... If they write it on their board, they're just promoting us. Yeah. And then that's obviously now expanded that there's a couple of other parts to that business now too, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what else is on top of that now? So we have G-Up, which is the kind of brainchild of uh, Troy Candy, the guy who made the snorkels. Yep. We're partners in that with him and we sort of operationally help them run that business. And then we have Grog, which is what I touched on before, which is yeah. the guys from Cold Ones. And there's a bunch of other stuff too. We've got one coming up called The Mixer. Ugly, we've got one that we, we crush like apples that they normally chuck in landfill and we turn into vodka. So there's a bunch of other brands, but... We've got like um, five, and we're going to continue to grow. So with um, with G up, that shit's hard. That shit's it's rarer than uh, what, what do you like to say? Rocking horse shit. shit. You know, yeah. it, it, that is so rare to get at the moment because well, it's so popular. Was oh, so, well, it was. Yeah. You know? So now we just done a deal with uh, Liquorland and First Choice, so it's about to go into like a thousand stores. That's it's exciting. Slowly leaking out, but um, as of like probably the time this goes up. Yeah. You'll be able to buy from any Lickland first choice in the country. There we go. Jeez, are you getting thirsty? Oh, I am. I'm getting G'd up for the weekend now. Well, <laughs> I love anything grape flavor. So I saw when they had the grape jam, I was like, I need to try that. But I still haven't tried it. So the sugar-free be... ones are the go, man. Yeah, like, for I, sure. I'm oh, yes, like not a sugar-free guy. Like I'm a full die-hard beer guy normally. And I'm full convert, like legitimately. That's not me just promoting myself. <laughs> the sugar-free ones taste like, I don't know if you've ever had no sugar energy drinks. But yeah, they taste, I love no sugar energy They taste energy like that. And I now just drink them. They taste like they're bad for you. You're not, and you can have a couple of them and not fuck yourself up. I haven't had one yet, but I'm uh, this weekend. I'm going to. Well, I'm interested, and I, I know a lot of listeners are going to be interested in this. I, I want you to dive into back in the day when you were more. Uh, I think you said off air, like foot on the ground, was yeah, the yeah. way you like described foot soldier. it. Yeah. yeah, foot soldier in the promote promoter days. Yeah. So you've got obviously a bunch of stories, but before we kind of dive into those stories, just explain to everybody like how, because you said you've been to like every venue in Melbourne like how when you say a foot soldier how much did you cover in terms of this city so everywhere like there's not as I said like only venue I can think of that I haven't done stuff in is CQ yeah um, I've done like billboard prints all the big ones sort of like tramp obviously everywhere on King Street I've done like I've most of the clubs on Chapel Street I've run events in so I've run them all but when I say foot soldier is that we would run the events ourselves so we're either in there hosting or at the front dealing with the doors or the lines or and we were the ones getting the people in. So we were the kind of, I guess, traffic controllers or driving the traffic. So the venues would give us their venues and in exchange, we would bring them a crowd. So we were like a renter crowd, I guess. But yeah. that was what we did. And, we, and because of that, we spent I spent a lot of time legitimately on the street, like feet on ground. So Watching something you caught you would have saw a lot of knobs, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we saw a fair few. <laughs> but a lot of good people too. Yeah, for sure. Know? Like Everyone's all right, man. Like We kind of break them up to like dickheads, frothers, and just normies. Yeah, and, like... <laughs> So the frothers are probably more annoying than knob, knobs. Like they're people yeah. that are just like, and it sounds mean to say, but like we used to call them that frothers or orcs, like which is short for dorks. But yeah. they're like people that are just super keen and like want to, they don't get that you, you don't want to talk to them for seven hours. Yeah. Um, they were probably more annoying than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like you to talk about maybe some of the bigger 
things you have done in terms of star power that you've brought out or you've dealt with. Tell, tell us a couple of, you know, those bigger names that you've personally, you know, dealt with. Okay, I, the one that I know everyone froths on at the moment, and he's a good friend of mine, but I'll tell it, this is a story I haven't told on my old rant one either, but no doubt people will love it, so it's an exclusive for the fans. Oh, yes, please. He's Dom Dollar. So obviously he's the man about town, but Dom, uh, his manager is like one of my great friends. Minus that, I've known Dom since he was probably 17. Um, yeah, okay. He used to DJ for us for like 50 bucks back in the day. <laughs> and he was actually our graphic designer. So he used to do my stuff plus everybody's stuff. So he was, when, I, when he was younger, he was famous as a graphic designer. Really? Yeah, he had really? this really unique style and everyone loved him and he was like the best of the best. Like, so you would get posters done for certain clubs. He would do it. Yep, really? so he used to do like Wawa Thursdays and anyone that knows what that is, they'll, they'll know exactly Yeah, Wawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. He, he used to do them and then everybody used to use him. I used him for an event called Disco Kills, but he was like the guy. for a certain, He was by far at that time the best graphic designer there was. So because of that, I was lucky to be a part of his journey early on. And then as he was blowing up, I remember my mate, he was sort of saying, oh, I'm going to do the forum. And at that time, no electronic Melbourne dance act had done the forum. Mm. Forum is one of the most iconic venues there is mm. in Melbourne. And I remember thinking, like I said, oh, yeah, cool. But I was like, what the fuck? With this guy, his business his business partner, he's, well, maybe business partner, but his manager, the dude's a genius, right? The guy's name is James Favor. Shout out to James Favor. Anybody in the industry who knows him is, knows he's one of the best there is. And he'd come up with this strategy where he was going to do all the big suburban clubs uh, and some of like the regional stuff with Dom. And Dom had been doing the BTV closing set. So he sort of, people knew who he was. Yeah, of course. So he decided that he was going to do that. Same at a relatively cheap fee in exchange for the fact that he knew what, uh, one, he would build a database, but it was all to do with selling forum out and making this iconic moment. So I was lucky enough to be a part of that journey. And I got Dom when he was too big for my venue. And he broke all our records with his 1,660 people that night. And the venue only holds like 900. So police. <laughs> but yeah, you couldn't move in there. So we'll, he's probably the biggest now. But wow. at the time, he's not the biggest I've had at their peak. But he was probably the biggest I had in dance. But I've done like Amy Shark. She's huge. The costest arm and a leg. Did Dead Mouse when he was coming up. I did Afrojack before he was big. Paid like eight grand for him, which is fucked because he's probably worth yeah. a couple hundred thousand now. Um, wow. A lot of them, like I've done a lot of before they were famouses. Yeah. I've done a few when they were famouses, but like um, when you work in the club where you can only really do 1,500, so it's not – and a lot of them are like obscure. Like I'll be like guys like Sven Vak, Dubfire, and I don't expect you guys to know who they are, but they're like mm. big in their collective scenes, but they're, they're niche. So when I get asked that question, sometimes it's hard. Sure. It's hard to answer. Yeah. yeah. I'd be really keen, and I've, I've obviously seen a video and heard you talk about this, but how it works is in, when a club brings out a big name, so like 50 Cent, you referenced yeah. him, he came out to Melbourne recently or to Australia and – they're promoting him coming out, but not necessarily saying he's rapping or going to be actually performing. Yeah, but technically, missing you're talking about, yeah? yeah. Yeah. Would you be open to maybe explaining that? Yeah, why not? So basically, the way it work is like these dudes will come on tour or shows, and then say we'll use Fifty Cent as an example. I don't. Again, I'm not. I don't. I'm not privy to what actually happened. But nah. Traditionally, what will happen is he'll do a show, and then there'll be a guy on the ground. So there'll be someone. There's multiple of them in Australia, and you'll kind of hit them up and be like, "Hey, if Fifty Cent does something. Can you let me know? Because I'm interested." Then if they say yes, the bidding war begins. So every yeah, club right. trying to chucks in and they'll sort of start and you'll go, okay, I'll give them 30, 40, 45 cash, 50, this, this, this and this. Like it all kind of rolls up. Eventually someone ends up winning that bidding war because no one will go up. That promoter takes that cash and then they go to, well, effectively a promoter, I don't even know what you call them, what the term is, middleman. And then he goes to the management or team and then does a deal with them. So he'll make his cream off whatever he decides off what he gets from us. He then makes it happen. So he puts together their actual appearance and then he organises and facilitates that whole thing. So that's how it sort of works when we get club shows. After, yeah. Like Jack Harlow was at CQ. Like that's always how – and you don't know. Like it's always like a week before. So yeah. everyone's like, oh, how can you plan this? Or you do contracts. It's not that way. Like you just go, Kid Leroy's coming. Uh, this is, and then you, everyone just battles as hard as they can for that fucking three-hour gap. Someone wins it and then it's two days later it happens. Done. Yeah. So, so typically, what what numbers are we talking about bidding war? Like in terms of cash? It doesn't really go above – Like, and again, I'm, not, I'm talking out of school here a little, but like I've – me personally, I've never gone over 50. Okay. So yeah. it's like – and that's where I've stopped. Not to say that people haven't gone up high on that. I dare say – but it gets to a point where you can't physically afford it. Like so I'd say I've heard of people getting like 80 wow. and normally venues will do that off the back of that they're trying to build awareness from their club, but it's like – it gets to a point where you can't afford so, it. So you're not gonna if you if you spend fifty, you, you're not expecting to make, make that back either. then that night. It's no. just it's just ongoing. Yeah, you get media, you get all kinds of stuff. So say okay. we do stuff like we were we were I can talk about it. We were trying to get um Tiger like T Y G A the one that was yeah. with the Kardashians. Yeah, and I think we capped out at fifty five. But at that point, we knew we weren't going to make any money. 
So we would have fully broke even that night. But the reason why we did it was because we were like, we're going to do fucking 600 people. Everyone's going to talk about it. It's going to help our night ongoing and help our club reputation. So sure. that's mm. a big driver is a reputation. Yeah. But then again, you've also got not just them, their entourage with them as well. I'm sure you have to try and look after and Sometimes. manage too. Is that not the case? No, nah, not really. Like they okay. all come together. Yeah. Um, you got to feed them and they drink them. And like, but it all comes a part of it. So you get these like wild riders where it's like – yeah. Always fried chicken, man, with that rappers. Like, Nando's <laughs> yeah. and fried chicken and fucking heaps of it. And that's funny. Yeah. It's actually hilarious. But at the end, it's always sometimes they drink it, sometimes they don't. But the riders are like ludicrous. It'll be like 17 buckets, uh, chick, KFC, fucking 18 piece feeds. It'll be like certain mashed potatoes, salad sandwiches, Nando's, all this expensive tequila, rah, rah. And sometimes they'll come in and, and eat it, other times they won't. So if they don't, all us promoters go in there and eat it after. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have to clean that up. I can't remember the last one we had. But I remember it was me and about six or seven of us and we're eating like pizza, KFC. <laughs> we're drinking like that uh, 1477, that super expensive. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, fuck well, it. I think I saw Post Malone. He spent like some crazy thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars when he were in Australia on Nando's. Yeah, for, they for love all it. his stuff. Love yeah, Nando's. they love Nando's. Yeah, they're always, it's like that's – I'd say KFC and, and Nando's are una numero. Like Nando's is <laughs> as common, if not more. Yeah. They froth it. They always ask. I know you've been pretty outspoken about this, but what about dealing with influencers, so to speak? So reality TV stars, people that come off these shows, we have a few of them that are friends of ours too, but dealing with those sorts of people and that demographic, tell us about some of those experiences. Yeah, I I finally have tried not to deal with them. It sounds weird. So they're like the only ones when I have them on, I'll be like, I'll hire someone to deal with them. Yeah. Because you kind of need someone like them to take care of them because... They take themselves very serious <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and they can be a little bit demanding. But what's wild is you can deal with someone like Hooligan Hefts or fucking Tiger or 50 Cent and they're way more accommodating and nicer than these influencer people. <laughs> well, not influencers. Influence, a lot of influencers are good who build their own audiences. It's more so the reality people. Yeah. But I guess the casting we, we, agents, we, We've experienced kind of what you're saying. Yeah. They're, yeah they're like, but the casting agents are looking for a certain person. They're looking for someone who's just jarring and is out there and crazy. So then to deal with them in real life, it's much the same. Yeah. Like, but on top of that, now they think they're famous. So you've got to deal with that. But some are legends, some aren't. As I said, I'm like, obviously you're like kind of alluding to, but like Lockie from The Bachelor, Survivor, absolute legend. Ab- crack up, funny as dude. Then Gaz from Geordie Shaw, awesome. Other than him, all the people from Geordie Shaw were fucking very, very difficult to deal with. Yeah, Even – well, because I know uh, – and because I went on schoolies, I did the whole surface thing. I loved it. I would have been life. running it then. I know. Yeah. And, like, I know you brought Gaz and Scotty yeah, over. and we did. So, was Scotty a bit of a tool or uh, – He definitely had some demons, the old guy. But yeah. um, he just didn't really have much time to talk to us. Like, yeah. I was spent weeks and weeks with him and he just didn't say hello. Like, I didn't get to know him. And I would have – not just one year, multiple years. And Wow. Yeah, he had a lot of stuff going on and he just didn't – he talked to girls and stuff. Like other people I know have better stories for him. But for me, he wasn't forthcoming. Like I don't know what he wanted, but he wasn't – he wasn't, wouldn't say he was rude, but he was, he was pretty messed up, like to be honest. That, that's that's another thing I was going to say. Yeah. Like a lot of the time they're messed up because they, yeah. they get into this limelight and they party every day and they're getting paid to. So then they become drug and alcohol addicts because they effectively they don't drink and do drugs, then they can't make money because money is made from appearances and stuff and mm. they're sort of like – at the beginning, it starts off as fun, but over three years' time, when you're trying to milk cash out to pay for your house, you start it starts to come with problems, right? Yeah. So you see that heaps. Like, that's a real common. Well, the schoolies thing you did for a, a long time, 10, 15 years, is that? Is that uh, I still, unfortunately, do it still. You still so do? It's been like, yeah, longer than that. It's so been like 15 years. Dos do, do loved his schoolies experience. Yeah, I, I had lots of fun in schoolies. But I remember I remember that, the whole Gaz and Scotty thing. And I, I did wonder how it worked because I feel like you guys were probably ahead of influencer marketing yeah, before definitely. it was a thing. yeah. So how did it all work? Like, because Instagram, again, Instagram is still new. I remember I only got Instagram in 2013. I don't remember so, I had Instagram back then. Nah. Those guys, so yeah. how did you, how did you think that this would work, and how do you get in contact with them, and then negotiating, you know, deals, like, deals yeah, to get so it done? Yeah. So what we would do is we would contact, find out who the agents are, which is actually not that hard. Like if you actually Google up like Geordie Shaw agent, you'll find 20 <laughs> of them because a lot of people are there. But eventually you shift to the shit and you'll find actually who it is. And the guy we were dealing with was a guy called Kay, and um, he was like, yeah, I can put this together. So we would just send an offer. So we're like, okay, for argument's sake, I don't remember the fee, so don't hold me to it. But it was like, we'll give him 30,000 US, uh, sorry, AUD to come out for the week. And this is what he needs to do. To do X amount of club appearances. And then after that, we're going to send him to Melbourne, Sydney and do whatever. So once they accept that, then you go on and sell it and try to make money from on top of that tour. So that's sort of how it works. But it's actually, yeah, pretty simple. Mm. You do, and then there's a thing called escrow where you sort of pay money into an account. And then they don't get that until they land in Australia. Because otherwise... That it, it just disappears, and that's why I'm saying when you uh, Google it, 
there's a lot of people out there that are the managers. So if you look up fucking burn a boy for argument's sake, there'll be 20 different managers because people out there are just trying to scam people. So you oh, be real careful. Yeah. Right. Especially well, UK and America, Australia, not really. But in the UK and America, there's a lot of people that pay for an artist that never come. Well, I mean, and Geordie Shaw, like that's an interesting one. But what about a, a show a show that's a bit more or less, I don't know, global audience or whatever? Like to get these people that have just come off there and they come into the club. Like in terms of return on investment, do you tend to see it or is it just it's yeah, just a novelty kind of? Always early days, man. Like that's a thing. Yeah. Like, we've always got to be ahead. So it's like when you first did maths, everyone's like fucking maths. Yeah. Like, when they all started rooting each other, that was the best thing ever for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like Channel 9 and us. Yeah. And like, so you'd go, cool, right, I'm going to get the person that rooted that person's girlfriend the most villainous one and people would come out in droves but after season five no one come anymore yeah, like, yeah, they'd get yeah, over it. yeah same as like before that love island before that geordie shaw it's like what big brother like whatever the tv show you kind of get like a two three year span where you can actually sell and people care and then mm. it, it washes off so mm. at the moment i would say there's no one anymore that you could probably hire that pull a crowd because it's all sort of dying that type of tv thank god Again, I think of, say, for example, Collingwood just won the grand final, right? They pick a place they want to go. I often wonder this. They don't want to be around the public. So how does it kind of work? Do they get their own – if they were to go to a, a, a hotel you own, how does it work? How do they? How do you shield the public from the big crew of players? How do, how do you guys tend to have those events? Grand final is probably a bad example because they don't give a fuck. Yeah. So it's like that yeah. – when everything I've seen where it's like proper – Everything you want to know, yeah. You, they don't. They're like in a way you keep them away and whatever. Try and keep the public away from. Oh, them. The, so the public just don't care. They'll do. No, nah, public care. Like they're trying to get photos and stuff. The boys are always having a celebration, but when it comes to the other stuff that they're probably mucking around with, it's not alcohol. Yeah, they they're pretty open with it on those nights. Like that's like really, a, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they just sort of normally you just want to push them into a corner. They've got security around them, but yeah. it's a, grand finals are a hard one because they they're there to celebrate. So everyone sort of gives them a bit of slack when it comes to the public. But they'll pick a venue that traditionally has good hospitality people in it that will protect them. Mm. Um, like they're not going to just roll up. Like it's all organised beforehand. I, it's pretty quick. Like someone like they're coming out. What can we do? And then they'll organise. But they'll normally someone from the team will know someone a part of that club or nightclub, and they'll sort of go. We're going to give you the aminosity that you need to do whatever you want. You can enjoy your party, but you can still enjoy it. But they sort of close it off so that they're they're in they're in the public, but they're not in the public. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, I was actually going to ask because we said we did we did an interview last year with a nightclub owner as well that you know and been business partners with in the past. But a lot of our like TikToks that did really well. There's a lot of comments from people, and uh, you don't know how true some of this is. But a lot of the rumors that were going on in those comments were like these secret rooms that exist in nightclubs that. People, it's like hush, hush. There's this room and if you kind of want to go in this room, you can go in this room, the doors get locked or whatever happens in that room stays in that room, whether it's people cheating on their partners or drugs or whatever it may be. Is that is this is this just a, a myth or is it, do these things actually exist? That's mind-blowing to me that people think it's a myth. Of course, of course it's true. <laughs> yeah. Every single venue has one and like as a promoter where we sit, it's like we're like – we judge a venue off it. Yeah, right. like, there's certain venues I love because they've they've got that secret room is good. That makes sense. Like, <laughs> so so talk. What is this secret you, room? Well, so well, not well, what well, you do, but like for argument's sake, there's a club called Alumbra, and they said their secret room used to hang off the roof, so you could go up there and do what you want. And there's like no security guys, no cameras, whatever. So it's like yeah, I can say that now because it's closed. Just making sure I don't fuck. Oh yeah, off the pier. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it's so used to hang off it, and you could watch down into the crowd. So like I remember for us, we if we were looking at venues, we'd be like, oh, Alumbra's got a mad secret room, so we'll we'll use that venue, but. Of course they have secret rooms. So what's it, what, is, what typically does a secret room look like? Um, it depends. They change. So it can look like a janitor's closet. Um, <laughs> it can look like a fridge. It can, And then it can look like a fucking five-star restaurant. Yeah. yeah, so it just depends on what it is. But effectively they're called green rooms. Like that's the oh, – yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. I mean you would have seen a lot of stuff on the street. You spend a lot of time on the street, at doors – welcoming people, saying goodbye to people, whatever. You would have seen a lot of probably shit on the street, a lot of probably, I'm assuming, violence. Not not violence, violence, but you would have seen a few drunk fights and whatnot. Do you have a story in particular? Have you been involved in anything like that where it was where, where it got too violent or anything like that? Yeah, heaps, man. Like when I was younger, I used to play up. So, like, I, I um, and I was from 2000, like, sort of mid-2000s, so we'd have a brawl. Like, my first actual business uh, – sorry, my first actual <laughs> business. job in a venue – I got kicked out for brawling with security with my friends. So like that stuff was kind of common back then, but, and that spilled out in the street and the police came and whatnot. So that's like, I guess when I was younger and dumb, I don't do that shit anymore because yeah. I'm not an idiot. I heaps of stuff. Like there's so many stories. Like 
cab drivers used to meet up when I was at Berwick Street and they would constantly punch on with one another. So really? Was, yeah, you see that all the time. They were good. They were good fights. Um, <laughs> and then other than that was like glassing. Like that was pretty bad. And people used to smash each other in the face with glasses. On King Street, weirdly enough, we saw less. Like when I was working on top of Berwick Street, I used to see way more shit. It was like the quieter the place is, the more really? dangerous. Yeah. The busier the place is, the less shit you see. Like, wow. It's strange. But like just bra- the best ones are the brawls with big groups and guards because like the shit goes down. Um. Maybe being behind Billboard and we ran, I was running a thing called Fornicated out, it was called Roxanne Park at the time. And it was in an alley, so this big brawl erupted between these like Middle Eastern dudes and security guards. And then the cops just came in and just sprayed fucking pepper spray and there would have been four or five hundred people in line and everyone was just Oh like, no. <laughs> so, yeah. But there was no way to escape it because it was just an alleyway. But I like, yeah, mate, if you had five hours, I could tell you a million different stories. Like I've got, I've got favourites, if <laughs> that makes sense. But you become what? desensitised to it. So yeah. it's like... It becomes, I'm a big UFC fan, but I remember almost like you want to watch it in a sense. Yeah. Like, not the real violent ones are fucked up, but even then you don't really see people get that fucked up. It's like, it kind of stappens and it gets pulled apart. It's like, it's almost probably the safest place to punch on is these busy streets because yeah. there's security guards and there's police. And so it kind of gets broken up quicker. Whereas if that same situation happened in a dark park, I don't know, I would hate to think what would happen. Yeah. Can I ask on a different level then, have you ever seen the wrong thing happen where a bloke or a woman or whoever has actually been cowardly hit? And something bad has happened inside or outside a club. Uh, yeah, I have once. So I yeah. saw a guy, I don't know what happened. There was an altercation. I still like uh, dislike this guy because of it. And I was watching on the camera and the guy, he waited. So I don't know what happened beforehand, but he was hiding behind a cigarette machine. And he waited for this guy to come out of the toilet and he attacked him from behind and hit him. Like the guy, I don't know, I think he was all right, but I was just like, that's fucking yeah. bad. Other than that, uh, I know this is controversial, but there's a certain nationality that likes to punch, fight from behind. And um, we say that a lot. So there's like a certain nationality that will fight people and they um, they will, will always be in groups of three. And they're like sort of Aussies are the ones who always seem to one-on-one them. And they always run behind and punch them in the back of the head. So there's different types of um, groups you'll see. Uh, again, it's, yeah, like you do see it. It's, it's pretty bad, but I mm. fucking, that nationality that does it. It's always the case. Like they always try and sneak behind and just sneak punch people. Traditionally, I guess it's a street fight, man. Like shit just happens. Yeah. It gets it gets pretty dirty. But mm. as I said, like most of the time, security break it up and it's all over and done with. I've not really seen any too bad. Like I've never really seen anyone like die. No, no one's or, been I've, killed. I've never seen anyone like even really go to a hospital with proper stuff because by the time it even kicks off, normally I've definitely seen big cuts and like people needing to get stitches and shit. But I've never seen someone like like where I thought there was a life threatening yeah. injury. So putting your like owner hat on for a second, if this is happening, I, I don't know what the rules are, but if it's outside the club, I assume it's probably it's nothing to do with us, not our responsibility. Nah. But no, nah, it's, it's, nah, it is ours. Oh, it is? Yeah, if you have one sip of alcohol in there, until you're like 100 metres from the venue, every single problem is ours. Wow. Cause just, even if you crash a car, kilometre down the street, if you've been in our venue, it's our problem. Really? So yeah. if, people st- if people stumble out of a club and then they go, well, my car's across the road, I'm going to drive home, and they go, boom, straight into a pole, that's your... I know, I've had those situations where they've come in and gone, you know, where's the footage and we're getting the blame because someone's crashed kilometres up the road. Now we had oh, so you have to, like, other venues? Yeah, so we, no, not other venues, coppers. Coppers come, coppers come to them, yeah. Oh. Coppers coming in and going, okay, well, this guy was drinking, he got in his car and drove off, your, where's your um, diligent, like, what's the word? RSA. Yeah, well, yeah. not RSA, but it's like... Duty, duty of care? Duty of care, yeah. yeah. So, like, where's your duty of care? And we're like, how the fuck are we supposed to know? And they're like, well, we stumbled out and got in the car. It's like, we're dealing with a thousand people. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then that was one. Another one was a guy who was at least 300 metres down the road and he'd gone to Macca's and then walked down and got hit by a car and they came at us for that. So they were like, um, you know, this guy wasn't so drunk. He wouldn't have got hit by a car. His blood alcohol level was X. That happened in your venue. And we're like, fuck, it was 20 minutes later. Like, mm. And then the sexual assault stuff too, that's pretty common. Well, it's just, we'll, we'll circle back to that. But what I was going to ask is, like as an owner, like how do you put out fires when the media, like let's say something happens inside the club, like somebody ODs, right? And it's just based on their own. That won't make the media. <laughs> so, so how do you, how do you, how do you like, okay, you get word that something's happened. How do you deal with it? How do you get this person out? How do you keep it all calm? How, like how do you deal so with it? It's like that happens, like the media stuff. Normally it's because something, someone famous has come and something bad's happened or like there's been a situation nine times out of 10, if you've got media attentions from that. Okay. When it comes to like stuff, as, as I say, like OD, Happens every single weekend, everywhere. Yeah, okay. if they if they covered all of them, like fuck, <laughs> the the paper would just be that. So oh, do you have to if someone if somebody does OD, what do you have to do? Do you have to get them out ASAP to a hospital? Like, how does it work? We just take care of them. So it depends. Yeah. Like again, I, I said this to a friend the other day, but I'm I can tell. Like, if I see an OD, this is a wild skill to have. But I can be like, oh yep, that's ketamine. You know, like, oh that's because yeah. I've seen so many different mm. ODs. I can be like, that one's you need to call the ambulance straight away because that guy's on G and he might die. 
all the other ones like, oh, he's just on K. He just give him a bucket. He'll vomit for a bit and then get his friends to take him home. Yeah. And so it's like, wow. yeah, okay. you get so accustomed to seeing him. You're effectively like a doctor for mm. of ODs, if that makes sense. So, but we just take care of him. Like we just do as best we can and sit them down and give them medical attention if we need to, cold towels, water, all that sort of shit. Make sure they're cool. Like, and it's our job to, to make, take care of them. And I think, again, using an example of every venue I've ever worked at, they do. And we've never, mm. I've never seen a death from an OD because venues do, they take care of them properly. Have you ever seen like spiking of drinks, especially for girls? Like, is that, has that been a common thing? I don't know what gets talked about, but I've never actually seen it. I don't know. Is that something you've had to deal with? You and me both. Okay. Yeah. So this is one that I hear all the fucking time. People are yeah, like, oh, I've never seen it. Spiked. My friend got spiked. It's like, I've seen two ever in 20 years, like proper ones. Like I'm sure maybe something left. I don't want to like fully say it's a myth um, because obviously it does happen. One was a guy that I saw get spiked by GHB and I knew he wasn't a drug user. So he definitely didn't spike himself. And that was pretty like violent reaction to it. Don't know. Maybe someone was trying to give it to a girl or whatnot. The second one was someone put a ping out in this chick's drink. So again, I don't know why the fuck he did it, but they, it wasn't really like for a bad reason. It was yeah. sort of like whatever. I, I will say that when I, you do see spiking nine times out of 10 or 9.6 times out of 10, it's a friend spiking their friend. And they might not know they've had the drugs because their friends were doing it as a joke, like a practical joke, which mm. is a pretty shit practical joke. But yeah. that's probably the most common. But I would say I haven't, like I'm not, uh, and that's not saying, I don't want to say that it doesn't happen or anything like that. Like I want to make sure yeah. that that's clear, but I have not personally seen drink spikings. Like it's something when people like, oh, walk around and hold your drink, whatever, do it, be diligent, of course, but it's not something that I've seen nine times out of 10. We still hear it all the time. Like people are like, my friend got spiked, this happened, blah, 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 blah. And then we sort of go through a process where we'll say, okay, cool. We've got cameras in the venue. We just go through like checklist of making sure that we're doing the right thing. So it's like, we've got cameras in this venue. We're going to be able to find this person. Are you sure your friend hasn't had any drugs? We're going to call the ambulance now. Your friend is going to get drug tested and then the police are going to get involved. So you're, you're sure that no one has given him drugs or they haven't taken drugs themselves? Are you, are you, because uh, this is the process that's going to happen. And then normally at that point, they'll say they had a pinger, they had a K or they drank too much of pre-drinks. Like the story changes pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, we get a lot of people messages afterwards saying my drink was spiked last night and we take it serious. Of course we do every single time. And we say, cool, no problem. Let us know what time you're in the venue. We'll download the footage and we'll give it to the police. Our advice is to go to the hospital and get a toxicology report and then... I've never had the police come and say to me, here's a toxicology report from somebody. So all I can go on is off is the information that I've got. And I've never been in a situation where I've had to deal with uh, spiking any further than someone saying they got spiked. So you, you've mentioned this word a couple of times about you being desensitized now. Like it doesn't yeah. shock you anymore where it might shock someone like us who we're, we're very casual where we don't go out. We might go out a handful of times a year. When was the last time that you saw something that genuinely made you go, like, played on your mind, like it was something you thought about or it shocked you? Like, have you had that factor? Even uh, if it's going back a long time, I'm just interested to know. I've had, like, a one one time there was a guy who pulled a gun um, on oh. my security guards and I, I just left. So I've had those, like, oh, shit moments, like where I'm like, thank In fuck I wasn't there. Yeah. Far out. It was, um, I, I was there. So it, it was an event that I had basically forced my venue to do. It was like a... um like a I would call it gang rap but it's an Australian drill music event and then they didn't want to do it the security company and the guy who owns the security company it was like two o'clock and I was out the front being like told you nothing was going to go wrong it's all oh. like I was sort of like bragging and I was like oh man see you later and then in the footage you see my car back out and then I drive and as soon as I drive the guy comes over with black gloves um, over the hill and he's got the gun out like that like a sort of shotgun Holy and shit. I was like fuck I found out that night and I'm like what the fuck and then I watched it but I was like Thank God I wasn't there because I would have ran like a coward. <laughs> but, um, but they dealt with it and then from my understanding, they're going to jail. And what was the purpose of that? I, I, to be honest, man, it was nothing. Like that's yeah. the thing. Like when you see these really crazy incidents, normally they're just filled over fucking nothing. So yeah. this was like he got kicked out or his friend got kicked out. <sighs> or Yeah, it was something really, really stupid. But it's just alcohol and drugs does stupid things to people. Yeah, it does. Because I've done the... I've, I've lost a wallet, right? Uh, we've, we've got a famous story in this podcast we've told many times. We, we had a really big night out one night and it, a few things happened. And, of course, DOS, I lose everything. Lost my wallet. And we're going back to pub and pub and pub or bar and bar and can't find it. Ended up finding it. But what is the weirdest thing maybe you found in the nightclub or a night out or someone's come back to retrieve? Oh, to retrieve. 
the weirdest thing or grossest thing that we find heaps of shitty undies, but no one's ever come back together. How <laughs> <laughs> we find them flat out. I'll tell a story from another friend of mine, which is my favourite. Uh, is an eyeball. So, so oh, like, you're so kidding he, me. Yeah, he, um, he tells the story pretty well. I asked my business partner, so he used to own a club in Melton. And um, <laughs> that'll, that'll they, found, they found a fucking fake eyeball. <laughs> and then apparently the guy came back next day and was like, oh, sorry, I got pissed. Oh, sorry, I think it was his wife maybe. His wife came back and was like, can I get my husband's eyeball? <laughs> oh my so it was God. like a glass eye. Yeah, glass eye. Yeah. Oh that is so That funny. is hilarious. <laughs> well, one of the things we're interested in, like, again, like I, I don't know what, what where the rules are in clubs, but when people are having sex at clubs, what what, what are the rules? We just say they can't do it. But there's, there's, there's certain clubs you can. Like you can go to swingers clubs, saints and sinners, a lot. I'm not asking for recommendations. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those venues Write are. Down. Those venues are at. Um, <laughs> there's uh, a lot of the LGBT community. Uh, like I th- I'm just going to call them gay clubs because yeah, 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 gay yeah, clubs. But, I don't know the term anymore. So sorry, guys, if you want to cancel me for saying that. But um, they, they, the gay clubs, they've got more rules. So like when you run them or you do them, they got more they, rules. Nah, less. Oh, I mean, less. Like, yeah. They, I mean, they're like, like when I say more rules, I mean more rules to be able to do that oh, stuff. More freedom. Yeah. So normally when they're being run at a venue, it's like cool. No scars past this keratin or um, this toilet's off limits for thingy because this happens and whatnot. But in the um, straight clubs, there's like a no tolerance to it. And I think it's because of sexual assault, to be honest. So yeah. like you just yeah. don't want to ever put yourself in that situation where it could happen. So you see it and then you sort of stop it in case the person's too drunk or it comes back. But it's like obviously most of the time they're together doing it whatever, but it's just like, it's a risk litigation thing. So just straight away, regardless of how much fun they're having, you're like, hey, stop that, go home. Yeah. Yeah, like, so you have to stop them. We don't have to, we just do because we don't want it to ever come back to us. Could it yeah. be done as like public, what's the... Nah, nah, nah. De- no. Indecency. Yeah. Nah, those rules don't work in clubs, man. Yeah, no. okay. No. It's like you don't get kicked out for if, when people flash themselves. Like it's like... Yeah. You sort yeah, of yeah. Like, stay, put <laughs> You're lucky man, Wayne. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Don- one, one of my favourite stories of all time was um, we had this club, that, oh, you probably, you, I don't know, you might know it. Down in Mornington is where we grew up. Oh well, yeah, I don't know it. What club? Cruise. Yeah, cruise, cruise club. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, did well, hit- down there. What's that? Did a bit of work down there. Did you? Well, that, that, go- that was the place. I, I hope you didn't work place. down this night because there was, there was a couple of rooms in there. One of them was the R&B room, right? I didn't go yeah. to cruise very often, but uh, this was back when Doss was probably 21-ish and he was really in his prime. And um, <laughs> I don't know, the boys were just in a circle. There's probably about three or four of us and we're just dancing and kind of carrying on. And uh, Doss just started doing these ones, like pointing down. And that's typical dance move of Doss. But then uh, when we actually... Looked down, his uh, pants were basically around his ankles. He was just flopping his <laughs> cock out on the. Uh, on the old flash cord. Yeah, I, I don't know why. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? He would, if, if, if a security guard happened to walk He'd get past him. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. When it comes to male, male nudity, it's like dealt with pretty like aggressively because yeah. people cause it can be taken um as like yeah being like a deviant that makes yeah sense. if anyone's listening this is fiction by the way yeah it's all <laughs> fiction nine times out of ten it is like that like i'll be honest like we'll see it. like oh it's like just a couple of lads being dickheads but at the same time <laughs> it's like, if someone feels uncomfortable yeah, we've yeah. got to do the right thing and get rid of them so so what if, if we're girls it's okay like I, it's a, I don't want to say it's okay but it's when they it's um, more tolerable it's when you're, there's like a Concert, I'm sure everyone's seen it, but they'll kind of yeah. do the old woo. Um, security don't <laughs> seem to react, and I just think it's it seems to be more socially acceptable. And I guess it's because it's not, it can't be, it's not necessarily deemed creepy. Like, there's not women yeah. in parks going, Check yeah. out my titties, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where there is creepy men doing that, so we have to be we have to be a bit more diligent with it, showing you know, taking their undies off, throwing them on the stage, yeah, dom dollar, that kind of thing. They, yeah, yeah, that's weird because they all that kind of stuff is like, Oh, haha, that's yeah, fine, funny. it's harmless, but it's like if a dude did that, <laughs> yeah, he'd get arrested. <laughs> yeah, right. he'd get arrested. Put your jocks back on, put your wife runs back on. <laughs> <laughs> Should we jump on to the golf box segment? Yeah, let, let's do it. Let's, yeah, you can get the box, and I'll, I'll do the read if you want. All right, perfect. actually, I think it's your turn to do the read. Yeah, I'll do the read. What's in the Golf Box is brought to you by our good friends at Golf Box, Australia's greatest golf superstore. If you need it, they have it, and it gets to you fast and free. Shop online at golfbox.com.au. Fast and free is what Emphasis we always love. Yeah. Like fast and free. You just got to get your head around that think about that for a moment and go, gee, it's pretty good value, lads. So you said to us, Danny, that you've seen this segment before, so you kind of know what's coming. All you need to do is basically put your hand in Lucky Dip, pick out a, uh, a card, and uh, it'll be a challenge or question. And if, you, if upon completion, you'll get a nice little reward for that nah, so what is in the golf cool. box Danny what's in the box in the box I used to love that show what's, what's the, the dumbest bo- injury you've given yourself Ooh. this is a good story <laughs> there we <laughs> go we like to hear. so I uh, I'm originally a country boy believe it or not I pro- look like a city dude but I'm not so I occasionally will visit where I grew up 
and I do bogan shit. Like shoot <laughs> guns and, and ride horses and drive around in motorbikes and whatnot. It's like a little bit of a rite of passage for me. So the dumbest injury I've done, and I've probably got a list of 500 of them, was I was with my mates and we were hanging out the back of a ute with loaded guns. I know oh. this is really, really <laughs> bad. And we had probably half a bottle of Jamison each and we're, oh, we're holding on with loaded shotguns. And um, my mate saw a fox and he was like, fox, 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 fox. And he pulled hard and I got knocked out <gasps> of the ute, smashed my mate out of the ute. We both had loaded guns <gasps> and I knocked myself out cold. And oh. I don't remember it even happening. So I woke up the next day, I was like, what the fuck happened? They're like, dude, you literally got knocked out of a car with a loaded gun. And I was like, thank fuck I'm alive, but here I am. So and the gun didn't go off, thank God. I don't know, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Whereabouts in the country Where are, are you from? A place called Broadford. Broad, where's that? Uh, it's sort of like an hour and a half from up, up straight up north, up the guts. Like if you're heading to like the okay. Murray River, yeah, okay, it's up that way. There's Broad. a small population, like two and a half. Barry Hall's from there. Barry, big bad, bazza. big bad, bustling Barry. Hall. I love, I love big bad bazza. Well, I know you do, by the way. Um, yeah. Well, of course, that's for that's not for nothing. Here is a two hundred fifty dollar golf box gift voucher for you, Danny, courtesy of our good friends at golf. golf box. Do you ever? I used to play heaps, but now my kids, unfortunately. Take up too much of my time. Well, uh, show, that, show that to the camera, Danny. Give that a little gloss. They'll love that. Yeah, yeah they'll that love is. that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if, you, if you're not on the golf course these days too often, that's okay because golf box do have a wide range of accessories, clothing, apparel. So you might get yourself a nice polo shirt for an upcoming event. You might do a, a golf theme night one time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, golf I think I might be going to live golf. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh there you go. I might dress myself up for that one. There you go. There you not go. because golf. of the golf. I've heard it's a bit of a wild party, so I have to say for myself. Who would have thought that golf would be? A party sport. I mean, everyone I know who went last year reckons it was off its head. So. Was that in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to go to that one day. Do it, bro. We yeah. should try and get there. I think it's in like three weeks. Yeah, we won't be getting there next year. <laughs> <laughs> next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Golf Box will look after you there. But, um, mate, thank you so much for, for joining us today and sharing some of your stories. I'm d- I better just check. I'm not prematurely because nah, nah, you don't have nah, anything nah, more. You're, no, you're fine. Uh, we really do appreciate your openness and your honesty um i'd actually love to get you on again one day and, and dive a bit deeper in some other areas of, of what you do in, in your life but can't thank you enough for giving us some of your time and uh and being so open thanks boys for having me no we appreciate lo- it we, we've loved it mate and uh, i know i know d was absolutely shocked when uh you mentioned the amass duo so i know who i'll oh, be yeah. i know who he'll be listening to on the way home yeah well, we can't <laughs> yeah. say anything else no that's all yeah, it's yeah. top secret. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you look at my Instagram and see who I match. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate.